March 1st, 1872, the U.S. Congress and President Grant designated 2,219,000 acres of Wyoming, Montana, and Idaho as Yellowstone National Park. It was the first national park in the United States, arguably the first national park in the world. In the late 1800s, as hotels started cropping up around the park, bears started hanging around the hotel garbage dumps. By 1900, the bear replaced Old Faithful as the most recognizable symbol of the park. Bear feeding sites cropped up all across the park, rising with the number of visitors. Every night, under the watchful eye of an armed ranger, hundreds of visitors watched as dozens of grizzly bears pawed through piles of garbage. Occasionally, they got the added treat of seeing two bears fighting. A number of black bears became so acquainted to this lifestyle that they, they called them beggar bears. They would sit along the roadsides and wait for cars to drive by and stop so that they would feed them out of their hands. <laughs> this grew into a phenomenon known as hold-up bears in which the bears would surround the cars and not allow them to pass until they had given them some kind of sacrifice. <laughs> It got out of hand. According to the Yellowstone Park Foundation, between 1931 and 1969, there were an average of 48 bear-related injuries and over 100 cases of property damage. Around that time, people started suggesting we should stop feeding the bears. When they did this, People worried, people worried about the bears. What would happen to these bears? Would they starve if we did not keep feeding them? If these wild bears of Yellowstone did not get their dumpster feeding, what would happen? Would they starve or maybe even worse, would they attack the people? What, what would happen? People were terrified. But... Rightfully so. Some people argued that bears should be bears. They needed to live in the wild. Hey, Mark, how you doing? They needed to remember what it was to scavenge and hunt on their own. What it was to be a bear. Today, we have a case of Jesus and the bears. Last week, we read how Jesus fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. Now, those same people chase down Jesus and say, do it again. <laughs> Moses did it. You should do it too. You've got to love this. You've got to love this. 
Jesus had just fed these same people the night before. The night before. With a total miracle feeding, right? And the next morning, those people show up asking for food and saying, what sign will you give us that we should believe in you? (laughs) You remember at the beginning of the passage from last week, they started off by talking about the signs. John is all about the signs, right? What What sign will you give us after you just fed us all and then walked on water? These bears will eat Jesus out of house and home, neither of which he has. And I love how they ask, by appealing to Moses with the manna and the quail, a story about people who complained after God liberates them from slavery and delivers them from Pharaoh's army by parting the Red Sea. After that ordeal, the people say, we should have stayed at home. Despite their ingratitude, God has mercy upon the Israelites in the wilderness again. God provides manna and quail for the people to eat. We've been talking about it week after week this last month. This is another symbol of abundance, of God's abundance. Perhaps the greatest symbol of God's abundance within the Bible. Spoiler alert, that's not the end of the story. In fact, there's no end to this story. The Israelites were never satisfied, and like it or not, we are the Israelites. We are the bears. I know that I am a bear. (laughs) I ask things of God that are not what I need. I forget what it means to live by God, to live off of what God supplies rather than what I have decided that I need. I am a bear, and I feed other bears. In the recovery community, this is known as codependency. Codependency is a type of dysfunctional relationship in which one person supports another person's addiction or immaturity or underachievement, right? We're familiar with that. In psychology, they call this enabling. Enabling refers to dysfunctional approaches that are intended to help resolve specific problems, but in fact, perpetuate and exacerbate those problems. A common theme of enabling is that third parties take responsibility or blame or make accommodations for a person's harmful conduct sometimes with the best of intentions, sometimes for lack of courage or insecurity or just fear. The practical practical effect is that the person is shielded from awareness of the harm that they do and the need or the pressure to change. Therapist Darlene Lancer writes, stopping enabling isn't easy. It's not for the faint of heart. There is likely pushback and possible retaliation. We also fear the consequences of doing nothing. 
it's scary to stop feeding the bears. But bears will kill you. Bears, with one swipe of their claws, can end your life. Jesus does not feed the bears. Instead, he reintroduces them to the wild. In John, we've talked about this before, in John's gospel, Jesus is the logos, the embodiment of that Greek philosophy of the pattern or blueprint for creation. In our sensibility, another way to think of this is that the logos is what we call nature. Nature, the blueprint for life. As John puts it, Jesus is the bread of life, that which sustains us. When we seek sustenance outside of Christ, accomplishments or social status or financial gain or power or whatever it is we're looking for, we will always come up feeling like we are eating garbage. We are like bears. We are suited for the wild nature of Christ. As Brene Brown puts it, we are wired for struggle and worthy of love and belonging, not for foraging in the trash and living in tame isolation. We know this about ourselves, and we are called to teach it to others, to love our neighbors as ourselves. Feeding bears is not just something we do in our personal relationships. We feed bears whenever we maintain the status quo in our attempts to make a love-spreading difference. Whenever we try to solve the same old problems with the same old solutions. We cannot expect the government to cure the illness they cause by separating parents of 700 families from their children. We cannot assume that any of the 24 student groups here at UCSB who serve the LGBT community will come to us simply because we have rainbow flags and tell them that God loves them for exactly who they are. We cannot rely on the EPA to respond to climate change or really do anything at all involving environmental protection. If we want to make a love-spreading difference, we cannot feed the bears. Don't hear what I am not saying. I am not saying that we should not help people. I am not saying that we should be callous to the needs of those around us. But as people who seek to love and nurture, to, be, to welcome the stranger and stand by the afflicted, we have a duty to know what it means to really help others. We need to be able to distinguish between helping people and feeding the bears. At some point, we all have to turn 
back to the wild, back to the love of Christ that sustains us through all things. God nourishes us in the wilderness of our relationships, in the wilderness of our lives, in the wild. There's no manna on the couch. There's no quail in the living room. This week, I, uh, I went for a hike up Rattlesnake Canyon. Has everybody, anybody been up there? Gosh, it's so beautiful. It's absolutely gorgeous. You know, in the winter, you go up there, and you, there's, there's water down low. Um, and even just a month ago, I went up there, and there was water at that first big creek crossing after you've gone, you know, the first, I don't know, half mile or whatever it is. Uh, but there, there's no water there anymore. I sat and watched the water skimmers there, and uh, it was not there. But as I went hiking up through the canyon, it was very quiet. It was, it was in the heat of the day, and I came around a corner into it after it's been the trail's been going along in sun exposed area, and it comes back in, in, under the trees. And this huge covey of quail came up. It's a, it was the biggest covey of quail I've ever seen in my life. It must have been at least 25 birds, if not 30. I didn't know that they would ever congregate in those numbers. It was unbelievable. And, you know, with their, uh, their wings, they're so quick. And it makes such a quick sound they, they, when they get, uh, get frightened. It was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I couldn't help thinking about the quail that were there surrounding the camp. But as I went further up the canyon, I came upon a pool of water. And on this hot day, I was covered in sweat and and dry sweat had caked to my face. As I got into the water with all my clothes on, (laughs) uh, as soon as I got submerged, I felt it just refreshing my skin. It felt how enlivening it was. I felt myself wake back up. I was instantly revived. It felt like starting over. Like baptism. At the edge of this pool, there were little claw marks of various size all along the rocks. I could see that various animals had been coming to this pool to revive themselves, just like me. There were probably some dogs, maybe some raccoons and coyotes, maybe a few mountain lions, maybe, maybe even a few bears. Like us, they all scratch at the edge of that pool for living water, for the bread of life. Amen.